Welcome to the podcast Unimagined, where current and former students share how they imagine education in schools could be regarding student leadership. We ask them to share about their experiences and offer advice on how we can all do better. In this episode, we meet Beck, formerly Megan, who knew he was a male as far back as age five or six, but only really found the path he could be on as early as 20-something. He had an incredible support system, but he shares with me how I, as a teacher, can present in ways to help my students know that my classroom is a safe place and my door is open to all students. Listening to this story allowed me a better perspective on challenges that exist, even for someone who has a support system. Sometimes even the little things, like a haircut, can be hard. Thank you for your story, information that will hopefully help educate teachers, students, and administration on ways we can do better. Start with a little bit about who you are and a little bit of a bio about you. I was born and raised in Ware, New Hampshire, so I've been here my entire life. And I was born female as Megan Brown, and I started socially transitioning over the summer. That was kind of a big jump for me. I currently still live in Ware, so I'm still around everybody here. It's been a really nice journey to be able to do with a lot of the people that I grew up with, a lot of family, and a lot of self-discovery the last couple of years. It sounds like being around people who you feel comfortable with was an easier transition. I also remember you sharing a little bit about the transition being easier in college. I think for me, it was easier to explore the different dynamics of myself in college because nobody knows you and you feel free to kind of reinvent yourself in the image that you see yourself in and being able to just kind of open up to different experiences, learn new things. When you grow up in a small town and really any town with the same people for a long period of time, you kind of get put into a box and these people, however much they love you, really only see the side that they have seen for your whole life so far. So they don't get to see all of the growth and changing that I think that you get to experience in college where nobody knows you. So you get to put forth the self that you would want everyone to be seeing of yourself. And for myself, I joined a Greek organization in college that was super incredible. And they're a multicultural sorority. And I was presenting as female at the time and identifying as female at the time. And they just helped me to learn about different cultures and different like aspects of who you can be and who you are. And I think that's the first time that I felt the chance to really step out of my box that I had been put in for so many years and kind of open up and really explore the different opportunities that I had and listen to things in the past that I didn't really know what was happening and kind of put words to them and be able to make sense of them in a way that was in a safe place because I was surrounded by people that I had chosen rather than that had been forced with me for so long. Did you have a sense of what you wanted to reinvent yourself to be? Honestly, no. In college, I felt 
very shocked because obviously growing up where I grew up, it was so small. And then going to such a big state school here in New Hampshire, I had no clue and no expectation for like what it was going to look like or how I was going to present myself. Just like growing up at such a young age, I feel like I was kind of given the things that I had in my life. I knew that men had to marry women and how then they had kids and had that white picket fence and house. I knew that I was assigned female at birth. So that's, I was a woman. That's what I had known. There was a lot of dysphoria growing up. And I didn't even know that what that word was. I had no clue that that was a thing. It wasn't something that was ever taught to me. I never had that opportunity. So getting to college and, and being able to kind of go in fresh was really refreshing because it gave me this chance to like learn about all these things I had never even heard about. And like I was stating before, just kind of place these like random feelings throughout my life that was like, oh, okay, now I can understand why every time I'd get a female haircut or what would be seen as a more feminine hairstyle, I would cry and I would hate it. And it was like almost a traumatic experience each and every time. But I never knew why. And it's because it was throwing me serious dysphoria that I didn't even know was a thing. And I just felt like, well, everybody must feel this way. Like everybody must hate like getting a haircut. But that's not true. <laughs> and I realize that now. Oh, that's so interesting. Not understanding what was causing it and just assuming that must be the feeling that anybody has. Do you think you could share a little bit more about the areas of dysphoria? I think... As a small kid, you don't think of the way other people see you and you're untouched by the world at that point where it's a, like a blank canvas and an opportunity to pick your paint and kind of do your own thing. But as you hit that middle school age and you continue to move forward into high school, you really start seeing how the media presents what people should be looking like and should be acting like. And so makeup was always a point of contention. It was always a really hard thing and dressing in a more feminine presenting way was always so hard. And it always brought tears. It made me feel bad. I never knew why. I couldn't ever understand why I felt like I needed to fit in to whatever life was telling me was the right thing. I think a lot of my dysphoria came when I was young to not being able to express myself in my external form towards other people. I was always more masculine. I was always more athletic. I was more wanting to do the things that we see as more masculine. But I always felt kind of stifled in that and not necessarily like that was something I should be doing. I would mimic the things that I would see in, in the media and with my friends and with family just so that I felt like I could try and fit into the box that started kind of forming around me. It never felt right. Even my name, like hearing my birth name, I should say, Megan, and like hearing people call me it and calling myself it, I just, it never felt like me if that makes sense. I just never aligned with that name. And I actually went to the lengths of like trying to find another feminine presenting name that might fit me and tried it, but it just, I couldn't find anything that was working. And so I just shrugged it off and moved forward. But as a young kid, not having the tools to understand what is happening around me, I think I just tried to mock and mimic anything that was going on around me to feel like I was fitting because I was so afraid of bullying and so in fear of not fitting in and not having friends because I was different. I kind of fell into that box a lot. <laughs> I'm thinking of your name that you were given at birth and thinking of trying on different hats with that and trying nicknames that you mm -hmm. could 
use. Did you ever find a nickname in sports or anything, a nickname that felt better? Not really. I feel like people call me Meg a lot, which was fine. But I mean, when I was really into sports, and I was for a long time in early age, middle school, all the way through high school, I just kind of was in this like space of trying to fit in. So I never moved past that. And I never tried to like push out of that. So I just kind of let the things happening around me happen. And they were fantastic years of my life. I would never change any one of them because it's gotten me to where I am now. And it's beautiful where I am now. So I wouldn't change anything from any day in my past, even the most painful days. But yeah, I just I would fit in a, a beautiful little box and try and keep that. So no name or anything that kind of made me feel closer to that at that time. And I really never felt like I was getting closer to my true self until almost after college where I had had a full toolbox of all the tools and all the words and or should I say like more so learned a lot of the tools because there were still so many that I had to get and and now like still need but no nothing that like helped at that time in terms of names or anything I just kind of went with it how did you come upon your chosen name you went with Beck and it's such a really cool name tell me how you came to get that name I kind of started my social transition journey really about two to three years ago and before that the first ever time it happened was probably when I was like freshly 22 it was a New Year's Eve party with me and just really just two friends so not a whole party but my lifelong friends, two people had come over. And I just remember distinctly looking at them in my kitchen and being like, I think I'm a guy. And then just like a moment of silence and then like, nah, let's brush that off and move forward. And so we just put it under the rug and moved on. And about like two to three years ago, my fiance, Selena and I have been together for four years and six months almost now. And ever since I had started seeing her she always like encouraged me to be more authentic and find more of what makes me happy and I've gotten incredible support from her in that so I felt like I was able to kind of explore a little bit more of myself and she started off calling me Becky June it was just something that she would call me a lot and then it was shortened to Becky and then just Beck she called me that probably for about a year or two and it just kind of stuck and it, it felt really good it felt right and as I was saying earlier with the the name that I was given at birth it never felt right it never felt like me and I was always confused as to why but when she would call me back it just like it fit and it hit right and I, I just stuck with it it was awesome my mom was gonna name me Scott that was gonna be my name if I was male at birth I decided to stick with that so my family still had kind of a part in my name would you mind sharing a little bit about why I as a teacher should make that effort to really call you by the chosen name when you make that decision thing that kind of hit my mind when you were talking about it I use birth name as my choice of words a lot because I I don't really align with dead name but I think that's really just because I did have a fantastic experience growing up and with educators I never felt like I was having a hard time with with teachers or with my family or friends or anything like but I think it's really important to call a student by the name that they are asking to be called because it's validation it's feeling like you can be yourself and feel feel safe in that space. It's gonna happen that people 
mix it up and it's still happening to me and my legal name is changed. My gender marker on my license is officially changed as well. In the eyes of New Hampshire, I am Beck Scott Brown, a male. I feel like it takes time for people to catch up. There is a little bit of understanding on our end of like, okay, I can see you're actively trying, but I think there's a lot of harm in taking the power away from somebody to hear the name that they want to be called because it is just a name to other people, but to like the person owning that name, it's everything. It's how I identify. It's how I feel the most authentic in a conversation when somebody is directly calling me by the name that I'm choosing to be called by. It feels so validating and comforting and I feel instantly more connected to that person if I can see that they're actively trying to use the name that I am choosing. And I feel like I connect more and I'm able to open up more. And if you're taking that power away from that person, you're not going to get as active of a experience from them and they're not going to participate as much or invest as much. And I think that's really seen in education where young students and, and kids don't feel the support. So why would they be putting in the effort? Which I think is kind of the trade-off. It's really damaging to not feel validated in that. And that's something that teachers really can do to just kind of open that door is by starting off the class by doing their whole roll call and then saying, is there another name that you'd prefer I call you by? And not making a big deal about it, but just offering the opportunity to change things up for somebody, I think is really helpful. There's been more of an acceptance of gender pronouns and sharing them. And as you said, making it not a big deal as educators are our first priority is to model. So saying my name is Lorraine Connell and my pronouns are she and letting anybody else identify themselves as their pronouns. When I say my pronouns are, is the next thing in class for me to have everybody to identify their pronouns or do I do the roll call? What would be the best process for doing something like that? There's kind of two sides to that. I think it's really a, a fantastic idea to have everybody sharing their pronouns and have it a more normalized thing. But I also think on the other side, it's an easy way to out somebody when they're not prepared. And at the same time, I would have said she, her back then because I wouldn't know. But I think opening the door and at least showing the safe space and making it more normal in the beginning of saying like, this is my name, that these are my pronouns, feel free to use I either one or, or the one that I'm asking for, please use that depending on like what your pronouns are. I think that's really important as a teacher to model that and be kind of like a safe space for people who maybe be like, well, why did you share your pronouns? Like what are pronouns? What does that mean? Because most people don't know. And I think people get really hung up on pronouns, which is so funny to me just because, I don't know, you can change your last name when you get married, but you're not allowed to self-identify. <laughs> so I think that's really interesting. Just in general. At this time, it's sad to say, but I don't think it'd be helpful to ask everybody to share theirs just because of the case that one, there's a chance that they could receive bullying or any sort of negative backlash. So a lot of people may even hide their pronouns if they're not comfortable. Or two, they may not even know what they are yet. Because I personally think that gender is very fluid and there is such a spectrum and what you are today may not be what you are tomorrow. It's important to live as authentically as possible. And I think it's really hard to do that when the fear of everybody else around you is kind of pulling you down. So opening up by sharing that, I think is fantastic. And, and sh at least sharing yours and then saying to feel free to share with me whatever pronouns you use. I would put it in that way rather than you would like people to use or something like that. But yeah, just kind of opening up the opportunity, I think is fantastic. I wish I had that. <laughs> yeah, I wish I knew what I know now. 
years ago when I first began teaching. Along those lines, share maybe some advice that you have now knowing who you are as your teacher. You could give me some advice to say, hey, you know, Ms. Connell, if you had done these kind of things for others or even me at the time, that would have been really beneficial. I think of lab partners, I think of group assignments, any advice that you would have for a teacher, I'd really love to hear it. Just educating yourself as an educator, being open to constantly being a lifelong learner and just knowing that what you can do now to help people is directly related to what's going on around us right now. There are so many things that teachers are not allowed to talk about and not able to help talk about or educate about. Those things come in the form of TQIA plus history. There's so much history that I wish I had known back then because I'm not represented in schools now. I haven't ever been in health class. Like that was super detrimental to my mental health, to the years and years that I pushed out my sexuality and my gender because I wasn't represented and I felt like the class was almost a laughing opportunity for the boys in the class and it was just not taken seriously. So I think when topics are able to be talked about and shared, I think it's really important to make them as serious as possible. Also, the partnering off people, I think letting people choose is really important to me because when I was put with somebody, and there's just a different dynamic in high school, but when you're put with somebody that you're not comfortable with, it's a lot harder to be successful and feel free to ask questions and collaborate and meet up after school to work on group projects and stuff. So opening any opportunities as possible, keeping things open to allowing people to work with others and make those decisions because it's not only going to help support and kind of facilitate that collaboration between students and make them feel comfortable, but also just allowing for you to kind of see how people make choices. I mean, that's our entire lives is just like, what's the next choice and what you're going to do next. And they really need to learn how to do that early on. Giving that opportunity to students as an educator is really important in any way possible. There's so much that is hard to talk about in schools with teachers to their students and how that may impact a parent and whatnot. And I think we see that a lot in the news today, but really just keeping an open door and letting students know that you're always a safe space and continually saying like, email me, feel free to come in, like open up my door, I'm here. Opening that is really important and having teachers that you can go to when you have something come up or you're thinking of something is just creates more safe spaces, which I think is really important for young students who are thinking of a different gender or sexuality than what they have been in the past and how hard that that can be. We never talk yeah. about consent. And so we're surprised when kids make a mistake. I have learned this last couple of years that I don't ask for consent in my classroom. I'm like, here, do this homework. This simple thing that we can start practicing and making normal so that when you come up against something that you don't want to do, I know how to say no. Let's talk about peers. What if I am your friend and you say to me, I think I'm a guy. Like <laughs> what What do I, as your friend, what do I, as your peer, how do I navigate that so that I help you? Choosing friends wisely is very important. And those two people that I chatted with, with they're incredible. And I've been best friends with both of them for so many years of my life. I got very lucky in the way that they could read the conversation and hear that I wasn't necessarily ready to explore it, but they didn't give me this shocked reaction 
like I felt like an outcast. It wasn't like that. It was like, okay. And then it was just like a move on to the next thing. Let's talk about it if you want to. And if not, let's go do something else. So I didn't feel like I was put into this place where I felt uncomfortable after sharing something important. And I think for a peer, it's so important to realize we're all going through our own journey. Being able to just show that, okay, I'm here to support you whenever you're ready. I'm an open door. And even just checking in every once in a while would be really helpful in terms of, I know you shared this thing back a couple weeks ago. How are you feeling? Do you want to talk about it? Or what do you, what do you think? Would be really helpful too, because it would then show that the, the other person is invested <laughs> and wants to support you and be there. And having that, I think is really important. I probably would have come out a lot of years sooner if we'd actually gotten a little deeper into the conversation that night or even a couple weeks later. So just opening doors and, and not feeling like a place that isn't safe, giving opportunities that to your friends that aren't judgmental, realizing that other people are going through different things. And even if you don't fully understand what that is, just realizing that you're their friend for a reason, you know the person that's there, you just might not know everything about the person. Give them the opportunity to open up and share their journey with you any way you can investing in their lives. I think you highlighted something really important that I want to make sure that I open up a little bit more is that often when our friends share something that we can see is a secret or yeah. something that is is like they're not entirely sure. I think we as friends tend to fear asking about and opening that wound or that door because we're afraid you're not ready. What you said by saying, ask me another question or say, remember you mentioned something and I just want you to know that if you want to talk about it, I'm here for you. And I think yeah. that that that's really valuable advice for a friend because they are really nervous to open something up for you that maybe you weren't ready but I think they are wonderful people that probably could have if they knew. That's really great advice. Is there anything else that you would like to share to help others? Anything else that you can think of that you could share to just help make things easier for the next person? I feel like I got very lucky. I was very fortunate to have a lot of people that support and love me around me. I would say for those who don't have that fantastic support, there are people like us out here. I would love to help talk to anybody about how they're feeling. So feel free to always like reach out to people, find people because we're out here. I had a mentor who was a lifelong friend who's also trans and he was incredibly supportive and helpful in terms of navigating my feelings and my thoughts and placing my dysphoria and understanding where I'm coming from. That was fantastic. And I totally believe that everybody should be seeing a therapist. It doesn't have to be often, but I see mine probably once every three weeks and it's probably the best thing I've ever done. It helps me to just go through my life in a way that's clear. It's understanding what is happening and I can communicate with others better. So I would say reaching out to people, finding a great support system if you don't already have one, and also trying to set up therapy and other opportunities to communicate with people and get different perspectives and educate yourself and take your time is my most important thing is it doesn't have to happen overnight. I've known since I was probably five or six deep down and dating back all of my dysphoria. I can see it from such a young age, but I think I really started seriously thinking about it over this last summer. 
when I cut all my hair off and started presenting as male all the time. It felt so good. I kind of felt like I had to rush and change my name, start hormones, start the process of moving forward. But I slowed it down and took like six months to really socially transition before any sort of other big transition stuff happened. And that allowed me to talk to all my friends and take your time and really just live in it because it's actually very exciting to go through this process of finding yourself and what that means. I love reach out, find other people. That's excellent advice. So do you want to share a way that anybody might be able to find you or connect with you? I can be looked up on Facebook or Instagram, Beck Scott Brown. And I can always have my email open too. If anybody wants to email me, it's just brownme09 at gmail.com. So feel free to email anytime and I'm very quick to respond. So you need anything at all, I'm here. Just keep on finding people and don't feel bad about reaching out and asking questions and just kind of finding yourself. That's awesome. I am really excited. I think there's so much in this and I really, I just want to thank you so much for your time. And this was, this was great. What stood out to me was how Beck opened up to share his transition and offered his contact to anyone who needs a connection. His biggest message was reach out and find someone. People are out there and available to support you. It was beautiful to hear how he embraced his transition because it can be a beautiful thing to become yourself. What was something this episode brought up for you? Remember, share the episode, comment on an issue you think I should ask a student, or help me connect to another student. You can follow me on all social media platforms at Peers Not Fears. The theme music for this podcast, Unimagined, was written and produced by another fellow educator, Keith McClendon.